0: The Fremont Local Food Hub podcast is made possible by the Lost Wells Cattle Company. They're committed to providing you with a premium beef product right here in Fremont County. So when you're looking for a juicy, tender, delicious cut of Wyoming beef, think of Lost Wells Cattle Company. They're located at 190 Dirt Road, just off 8 Mile Road, or just southeast of Midvale. You can contact the boys at 307-850-2129. Or visit LostWellsCattleCompany.com. And don't forget to like their Facebook page. Welcome to the Riverton Local Food Hub Podcast. My name's Jack Schmidt, and every week we'll try to keep you posted on our journey to reestablish more local food in our area. Riverton's certainly not unique in America, just like everybody else in the country. We want to eat better food. And for us, that translates into more local food, and this is our story of trying to re-establish an infrastructure to encourage more of that local food. So, a recap of where we are now, the last week, August 2019. First of all, this is a community effort, so our first task was to form an organization of like-minded people with the stated goal of changing our food system. This was the start of the Riverton Local food hub. We filed with the Secretary of the Great State of Wyoming, and now we're something. A board was formed, and you got to meet them last week. To get started, we needed a physical presence, a place where we could implement all the many programs needed to change this food system. The city of Riverton had a restaurant facility that had been closed for several years at the airport. We were able to negotiate a lease with the city, with pretty favorable terms. This week, that lease was signed, and we're in business. The concept is this. The hub would be the supporting structure that would allow the many faceted elements of a food system to be reestablished. These different endeavors, let's call them spokes. The first spoke to be addressed would be a cafe at the airport. This was to satisfy the city's needs to service air travelers and the people that are working at the airport with, with some kind of food service. Our idea is to make this restaurant source all its food locally as much as possible. The flights at the airport come in at 7 a.m. in the morning and 12 noon. And so, therefore, a breakfast and a lunch facility just works perfect. Now, our first challenge is to source local food for a breakfast and lunch menu. That sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? Well, we'll talk about that later, but we... We sure would appreciate some input from you. So our first task is to get a consumer health inspection of the facility and to get a food handler's license. An application packet was turned in last week, and now we're waiting on that inspection. The second spoke of our hub that we will implement simultaneously is a shared kitchen. We believe there's quite a few people who'd like to take their production out of the home kitchen and into a certified kitchen. The problem being that home kitchens are difficult, if not impossible, to certify. Therefore, we will make our kitchen, which is certified, available to the public for a small fee. We'll also help people with the licensing and the promotion of their product. This will allow them to scale up and be able to sell into retail stores. And retail is the focus of today's podcast. Well today on the Riverton Local Food Hub podcast, we want to talk a little bit about where your food is going to wind up. The whole concept of the hub that we're establishing up at the airport is to help producers as they scale up and maybe get out of that farmer's market mode and grow out of that and want to find another market for their product. And our concept of the hub is that the hub is the support group for several spokes. And a lot of these spokes are the different parts of agriculture that people want to scale up into. But still, after they've scaled up, they have to go up into the retail segment. So I'm very excited today to have as a guest Michelle Motherway from Lander, who is really the, the epitome of retail in Fremont County. So, Michelle, I'd like for you, if you would, to give a little bit of history of your family uh, and how they started, and then we'll go to the future.
1: (laughs) Uh, My family um, business is Mr. D's Food Center. Right now we're located in Lander and Powell, Wyoming. Mr. D's Food Center was started by my grandfather, Mr. Dussel, which is Mr. D. In 1946, after World War II, he was honorably discharged as a captain and didn't have anything to do like most Americans did. They were done with the war. The economy wasn't great. And <laughs> what do you do next? Um, so he decided to uh, be a refrigerator salesman, sold a refrigerator to a place in a food center in Thermopolis, Wyoming, went back and bought that place with the refrigerator. And that's how Mr. D's began in Thermopolis, Wyoming.
0: What was the, what was the stake? course you don't know. You and I weren't, yeah. We well, you know, around quite yet but 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 what was the state of retail groceries at that time
1: well if you think about thermopolis wyoming during that time the canyon road was still dirt so um and there was one retail grocery store most at that point was still people were still growing their gardens they still had root cellars they still were independent Um, they uh, still provided for themselves there was small Farmers market markets and and groceries at that time mostly what she sold um, when my her husband she was a widower and her um, she sold canned goods and they wrote a letter a handwritten letter they sent it in the mail to Denver with their order of canned goods and then weeks and weeks later that order would show up either on a trucker in the mail you know air quotes mail. Um, So it was weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to procure food. You know, we think about getting instant gratification (laughs) with Prime and things like that, you know, to order groceries. You know, we get trucks five days a week, six days a week, multiple trucks bringing us groceries. But then, and there was no refrigeration in the grocery store in Thermopolis, Wyoming. My grandfather sold her the very first refrigerated case in Thermopolis. And that store eventually was named Frank's. Later on, when he expanded, he expanded mm-hmm. into seven stores. Um, he was the largest chain in, land, in Wyoming for a while. And, and that became was, Mr. D's? And that became Mr. D's. Um, he sold all of those stores. Long story short, ended up with the Riverton and Lander store back. Put a general manager in the Lander store and a general manager in the Riverton store and said, if you're successful, I'll sell you the business. Um the lander store manager was not successful, and it stayed in the Mr. D's family, which my mother and father eventually bought. And the Riverton manager was very successful, and we all know him as Bob Woodburn There you go. Yeah. yeah.
0: So let's go back to that stage of the business model. That by then, we, of course, had refrigeration. We were bringing in a lot more produce. What interests me is that change from where we were consuming most of our local Produce to where it was shipped in. At that stage, there was still a lot grown here, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, you know, back then, I, I know that um, lots of, we still had the hydroponic, you know, when I, when I was younger, we still had the hydroponic tomato farm up in Sings Canyon. Yep. Um, and uh, there was a lot of local producers producing for resale at the um, larger level. And a lot of that was produced locally here. And you know, the barter system, you and I had a long conversation about the barter system. Um, people that are growing garden. My grandfather, when the seeds would come in, Um, this is super interesting, when the seeds would come in, he would hand uh, give uh, the gardeners extra seed packets and say, grow these seeds for me and I'll buy them back from you. Really? And so that's a lot of how he got his produce in the communities that he was in when he first started is he figured out who the big growers were in their, just in their home gardens and would say, hey, will you plant two extra rows of carrots for me? Will you plant
0: And this is the kind that I want and that I can sell.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and this is what I want and this is what I can sell. Here's the seeds for free. And then when you cultivate them and bring them back to me, I'll pay fair market price or barter or trade with you. Yeah,
0: yeah. I love that. Now, let's take that on to what happened since then, kind of in our lifetime. And we've seen this thing go to where... uh, Uh, Let's call it the efficiency model. (laughs) Who can sell the cheapest has got. Call it something else. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) But it is. It was strictly price driven, correct? And and it's kind of and it's stayed that way.
1: What's the commercial industry model of? um, If you grow more, it can get cheaper, and and the bigger. Entities. So the big box stores, when I talk about my TED Talk, I talk a lot about the the big three or the big box store, um, the three largest retailers in America that sell groceries are Walmart, uh, Kroger, and then uh, Cerberus, who owns Safeway. Um, And, you know, they are able to negotiate on a larger scale, and they don't want to negotiate with 10 little teeny guys who have two rows of corn. To extra, they want a massive, you know. The same with our meat processing plants, our meat packing plants, our large vegetable producers. They want, you know, roundup ready crops that are exactly <laughs> really readily available at a cheapest price possible.
0: And that negotiation, it, it has squeezed that producer down to where they're really in kind of a a, a situation where they're really sharecroppers now. They're just Correct. they're just working for commodity price but let's get back to you mentioned the ted talk and that's what i i I listened to that and that was in may of this year and anybody that hasn't listened to that we're going to put the uh uh, the link to that in our show show notes because it's really really worth listening because it encapsulates i think where we are in the food business right now and if it was really the big versus the little if you can kind of go along pick up on that and that theme
1: Um, the, the theme of the Ted talk or the, the title of the Ted talk is throwing rocks at giants. And, uh, it's my story. It's my story as I'm living it right now. It's, um, some of my belief systems. I didn't necessarily think I was going to be in the food industry. I thought I would be in the medical industry my whole life. Um, you know, graduated from college in the medical industry and just thought, you know, I'll just do this forever. (laughs) And then, uh, when, the big box store that's in my competitor, my main competitor, um, built its 46,000 square foot, $12 million building in a town of you know, 7,000, 8,000 people with the sole purpose of being a one grocery store town.
0: Of driving you out driving of business.
1: Driving us out of business in a predatory way. I mean, they were ruthless. They were predatory to the point where we had to actually get the state involved and Issue a cease and desist to. How long did you say the
0: grand opening went?
1: (laughs) It went for eighteen months. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty grand. grand. Yeah, you'll uh, we. I'm kind of a smart Alex sometimes, and it's actually. I think it might still be on our marquee right now. They did a re grand opening store, and so I put on our marquee, "We are open and we are grand," because I think that's fun. Um, (laughs) But we competed, you know, attempted to compete with them. And the thing is, is that across America. The independent retailer that stands against that giant truly is in a David and Goliath situation. And uh, you can only do what you can do. And we chose to pick up that small stone and remember that we are the David in the story and that we do have, you know, we're a faith-based business, um, that we do have faith that God will carry us through that. But we have to do hard work, period. (laughs) One of the ways that we did that was reminding people and that's part of the conversation that you and I are having is that we are a local entity and we truly are a local entity. And the grocery stores like I think it's 90% of grocery stores that face that independent retailers that face that fail <laughs> within a year of facing a big giant opening a new store in their in their, ta- in their town or in their region or in their area, you know, in bigger cities. There's three grocery stores within a mile of each other. Two of them will survive, one of them won't. Mm-hmm. And the one that doesn't survive is almost always the independent retailer.
0: Which is exactly what where our paths meet, is that we really have that faith and that prayer that local will be enough of a draw for people to to put their energy uh, and their talents and their money into purchasing what is grown locally? Now let's define that because we talked about that too. Yeah. Local is 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 kind of a catchphrase. That uh, how do you define local?
1: I define local differently. Um, you and I talked about this. I defined local as as uh, local to me. So Fremont County land or Fremont County, Riverton, Fremont County until I opened a grocery store in Park County in Powell, and then I realized, well, hey, I. I want to be a local girl there but I'm not locally from there and uh that community is very uh local oriented just like our Riverton and Arlander communities are and they're very were very readily reminding of me that I was not from there (laughs) and I want to be like well uh, actually Mr. D's has been in Park County since 1947 so (laughs) really I I am kind of from here anyway uh, my mom went to grade school in Cody um But uh, I redefine that as a regional aspect. So I define it now as uh, for food, specifically for food, Um, food that's coming from our region, so the mountain region. So Colorado peaches, that is a regionally grown product. Um, Flathead cherries from Montana, regionally grown product. Um, Corn, our corn will come from Gallagher's. It'll come from Park County. It'll be here this week. It's amazing. <laughs> that's a local regional project, Good. product. Because just because it, here in the Mountain States, we can't always produce all year round, but we wanna make sure that we can drive our food as few miles as possible. I think that's better for us. Yes.
0: Now, something that, that, that came up and I, it just amazed me, and I'm, I think it's wonderful is and we're talking about corn. And, <laughs> and when you're talking local, we're talking seasonal. Right. You either got none or we got it running out yeah, of our ears. Right. Now, you've got a system there at Mr. D's that I was not aware of, a, a barter system. Would you <laughs> kind of run yeah. through that? That's, I think it's just totally amazing.
1: Well, we've been in both stores, um, and that's part of being local. That's part of um, when you go to Mr. D's, the owner of Mr. D's will carry out your groceries. Uh, think about that. The owner of Safeway or the owner of a big box store. Is never going to come, shake your hand.
0: There would never be a Walton come into the parking lot and say <laughs> hello.
1: Well, or push the basket in or
0: carry out the groceries.
1: <laughs> but um, part of that is that you can come and see me or you can go to Pal and see Cammy or you can uh, come and see Kenzie, who's our produce manager and lander. And if you have an excess of produce, we'll buy it at fair market value because we can sell it as a locally grown product, especially produce. Other things get a little tricky, and that's kind of where this conversation is going to go with moving forward with your hub idea in the kitchen here, which I'm really excited about. But we can buy or barter or trade, and we will be at fair market value. So that means what in our catalog we would buy it for, your excess. So if you have, just like my grandfather did, an extra row of carrots or an extra bushel of whatever you've got, and it's more than you want to process, can, produce, can't sell at the farmer's market. And it's in good, good condition. Bring it in and we'll sell it to our customers. People love it. We'll put a sign on it that says grown in Joe's garden. And
0: maybe Joe's picture.
1: <laughs> and maybe Joe's picture, right, for sure. And um, that's really exciting to us. You know, it's um, something that my grandfather started years and years ago. Um, you know, I we bartered for Lots of things and traded we, for a lot of things, and we, it's We might dark
0: make sure and make clear that we're talking about produce here, produce, which has less regulatory structure on it than than uh, some kind of a, a made. Yep. Uh, if
1: it's uh, made or processed at all. That's different. That's different. hundred yeah. percent different. But now the hub
0: might we we might with that with that right. certified yep. kitchen, we still might be able to get it into the retail thing, and that's exciting. This is exciting for me we're talking about getting it to that end producer. Right. Man. What we're talking about on this kitchen gets it in a form, you know, it, it, puts, it, it adds value for that producer. And that's what we want to do. But it doesn't get in the consumer's hand yet. And right. this is that last stage, and I love it. The bartering place, wow, that's, that's, <laughs> that's cool.
1: Well, and we've done that for—I mean, since you know my my grandfather started that—and it's just uh, a—we love to be able to go through this season right now and not buy any zucchini in from Seattle or wherever it's coming from, China. (laughs) We we try really, really, really hard to not carry Chinese produce, but um,
0: you know that's a that's a good point. Can you tell?
1: We can tell, you can, well, it, all produce has to be labeled with its country of origin. Really? Okay. that is regulated to us buying it too. So when we get our catalog, of, uh-huh. um, our order guide, we can tell where things are from. So about the only thing that is really hard to buy or source in America is ginger, surprisingly. And Scott at Shoshone River Farms has started growing He's ginger. He's got it. He's I got. got he's getting it going. He can it's grow hard. anything. It's yeah. He can grow anything, but to regionally source or locally source or even source in America, things like ginger are hard. But it's about the only thing we just really don't want to carry a lot of Chinese produce. Yes, it's a long way for it to travel. Well, and that's
0: that's the local thing. We keep the miles down if we yeah. can. Yeah. You know, you, you can't buy local coffee. But you can sure as hell buy coffee that's roasted Roasted locally. So that's 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 our kind of our concept of the the local tag. On the retail side, you are an you are an independent grocer, and one of the few around. Although there is two. There's There's two
1: in (laughs) Fremont County: the Hines and. For Washakie. Right. The Heinz family has been a part of this community for a long, long time. And, again, you can go there and, and Ben will carry your groceries out for you and you can shake his hand and and meet the owner of uh, that establishment. And he's a second generation. I'm a third generation owner. And uh, it's hard. Ninety percent of third generation businesses in America, doesn't matter what it is, fail.
0: So let's let's just follow that line of thought there. What do you see, you know, by the time you're my age, where do you start doddering a little bit? What do you see in the grocery business? Is the is the uh, Amazon uh, uh, model going to take over?
1: I think it is. I think that uh, the grocery delivery system. I don't know what it's going to look like for us. In, um, uh, technically, we're kind of almost in a food desert. There's a concept called food desert concept, and we're awful close. We're awful right? close. Um, I think that. Uh, Riverton has got more of a food opportunity than Lander has a food opportunity. I think that just because. For production? For uh, retail. Got it. Okay. Access to. Okay. Um, But if you go to like Jeffrey City, Jeffrey City is 100% a food desert. um, To service those people in that community, online shopping is the way Mm -hmm. to go. Um, What that does for a business like myself, if we can get into that business, which is really hard to do we can survive. If we can't, we won't survive. I can't compete with um, that model. And I don't know what that looks like. But I think that our young people, I think about my niece and nephew, her younger age, or my godchildren who are even younger than that. I don't know that they're going to want to go into a grocery store and choose their own food I don't know that they're not going to want to have it chosen, chose for them, or uh, maybe choose a menu. I think that we've talked about the boxes, specifically a beef box. You know, what does that look like? And I think that those are becoming more and more popular.
0: Which is makes it all the more important now to be studying these ways that we can can market and access them. We've talked because I I really, I truly believe we're really selling a story now, and that producer that can produce. And tell his story uh, to that consumer is the one that's going to survive and sell things. Right.
1: I think that the, um, I'm a firm believer of knowing the source of your food. Yeah. I'm a firm believer that uh, the food that we're killing or we're, that we're feeding our children is killing them. Um, I think that uh, you see the rise of diabetes, you see the rise of obesity, you see the rise of autoimmune disorders, of cancers, of all of these things that have happened. Um, I think a lot of that can be sourced back to our food. Uh, we talked about the roundup lawsuit that's going on recently. And the food that we're feeding our children is roundup ready. So the roundup is embedded in the f- seed. So uh, finding seeds that are, or sourcing food, whether it's beef or whatever it is that's a non-genetically modified, that's got no herbicides and no pesticides. And, and, and antibiotics is huge. And, to, yes. Yeah. And I want to have the conversation too. You and I have had this conversation about... Um, The age of your food and how we're prepping our food to be longer on the shelf, which is not good for our food. So... We're irradiating our meat. We're gassing and irradiating our bananas. Um, we're doing all of these things so that when the consumer walks into a grocery store, it's beautiful and it's pretty. The meat is perfectly pink and red. The bananas are not too green and not too brown.
0: Just the right yellow. <laughs> Just the
1: right yellow. You know, We throw away, well, we don't throw away um, hardly any of our produce. It all goes to uh, Spears or it goes into the Garbell system which feeds the sewer pond. Explain but,
0: explain that Garbell system. <laughs> that's fascinating.
1: Um, it grind it's like a huge food processor grinder. Is that
0: something you do or the yes. city does no, you do, do that? We do it. So that's an extra cost for you.
1: Yeah, it is. To grind it up and then it goes directly into the sewer ponds to help the bioorganism um, to keep the sewer ponds in. And, and in Lander, if you're following the politics in Lander and the structures and the things that we're spending our money on, our sewer ponds are very sick in Lander. Um, and feeding it good organisms helps to deteriorate the bio waste. Um, and uh, Mayor Richardson's doing a fantastic job of fixing that problem. But we, yeah, anyway. So
0: that, that gets that. So because of that, there's very few, very little of your yeah. few. Food that's thrown away because on the national, I think they're talking forty percent of the foods is wasted.
1: Goes into a grocery store is wasted. Yeah, so we, our produce specifically either gets put into the biosystem at the sewer ponds, or um, it gets sent to S Produce, um, and we sell their produce in the store. They in fact have really kind of stopped doing farmers markets because. Uh, the availability in the re- at the retail level, and it saved them so much work. If you are a farmers market person, it's a ridiculous amount it's a, of work. It it's is a hard life, and so they've been able to stop doing that and concentrate more on some of their online sales for their meat processing, um, but their vegetables and their hot house stuff. We carry their stuff three hundred sixty days a year, all all the year round with what they produce. And that's the goal. If yeah. we can
0: get enough people like Karen, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, 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 and they'll happen. Yeah. They're out there. I really believe that yeah. that American entrepreneurial, uh, uh, uh drive right. is, is there. We just have to give them a place to put it.
1: And I have a place to put it. And independent retail has a place to put these small things. Cause, because I control my inventory An independent retailer controls what comes in their store. Uh, Ben Hines controls what goes in his store. It's different than what goes in Mister D's and Lander. It's different than what goes in Mister D's and Powell. It's different than what goes in Max and Thermopolis or Recent Rays. They're all independents. We control that. We control the inventory. So if someone has twenty hot house tomatoes, I can buy them. If you take those to a large box store. They can't bring that in. They just can't. They're afraid of the lawsuit. They're afraid of the liability. They're afraid of the handling, and they have no way to pay you then because the payment all comes out of Denver. Exactly where you can barter. Yeah, and that's that's
0: just that that's the whole difference in it. Yeah, in this complicated world, I love what we're doing is trying to simplify what we put in our mouth.
1: Right. Yep. Whole food. Just uh, know where it comes from. Know how old it is? The beef on our shelf is when you go to the big box store and you buy a Cryovac package of beef, and how you can tell that is it's in a container, so it's prepped for shipping, it'll fit neatly in a box. That beef is older the day they put it on the shelf than the day I throw it away at Mr. D's. I want you to think about that. That that beef is older that day. That beef has also been most likely irradiated, most likely been gassed to stay that color and to have preservatives on it. And that's just crazy to me. I want people to really think about what they're feeding their children.
0: Exactly. And 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 from the animal side of that, you know, with just last two weeks ago, Tyson had that plant in Holcomb, Kansas that burnt down. Yeah. So that that's a thirty thousand head a week. Now all those you know all those people that had to handle those, they're out of a job. But now the rest of them are handling more, and right. you know they're not doing a better job of it.
1: No, and then also it, it, tragedies like that increase the cost of goods because the, the ability to purchase in bulk goes down, and the people that can buy the most um, have the loudest voice, um, so they are the ones that get serviced first. That's another issue with independent retail is we don't always have the loudest voice because a lot of times we're one instead of many, and we need to flip that around. And the flip around of that is that when we're in a bartering system or a lower, you know, a, a Michelle Joe system, it's a one-to-one system. I can make purchases on the fly at the moment. Mm-hmm. I can bring in, you know, a, I can buy a cow have Jared process it at Wyoming Custom Meats or here at the new processing plant that's going to come up in Riverton soon. Um, And then sell it in the grocery store where I can do that and have a pretty instant return, support a local business. If we keep our dollars, this is another part of my TED Talk that's really important to talk about, your dollar is a vote. Mm -hmm. And where you vote with that dollar is what is going to be successful. So if you're taking that dollar and you're voting at a big box store, you're voting for that big box store. If you're taking your dollar and voting at a local store, you're voting for that local store. 70% of the dollar stays in Lander, Riverton, Fremont County, if you vote for a local store. You know, the other 30%, and this, it can differ depending on what the product is. Um, but 20% of that dollar, when you vote at a big box store, stays in the community. If you buy your groceries on Amazon, less than 3% of that stays in the local economy. And the only reason that stays here is to pay FedEx UPS.
0: And the producer on the average gets less than 10%. Yep. So it's just, it's, it's a system. I don't think it can be sustainable because you can't, if you can't pay that producer, it can't be sustainable. So we're, we're right back to what, what's going to happen in the future and I think that local model, I just, I just love it. In fact, it just came to me. We, we preach all the time. And here, you know, that you really need to put a face on your farmer. You know, right. know what that looks like. I think you need to put a face on your retailer. You need to know what that grocery store person looks like, where, where they came from. I love your TED Talk because we got your story. Yeah. And I and I really encourage people to go to it. Michelle, I've really appreciated this. We've been talking to Michelle Methersway, the owner of Mr. D's and Lander, and I really appreciate you taking this concept full circle from production to retail. Thank, Thank you, you, Michelle. Much. You know... Cowboy poetry is kind of my happy place. That, that's a spot where you can go. It's kind of almost always makes you feel pretty good. And with your permission, I'd like to give you a poem that might make you feel pretty good. This is just one of those real good ones that a good cowboy named Bill Hershey wrote. He didn't write much, but by golly, what he did write was good. It's called The Broad. Now I ain't much for shopping or or even going to town, and except for shipping day in the fall, I'm not easily found. But there come a time I just had to go, so I left the kids with Ma. But before I left, she asked me, "Would you pick me up a bra?" I went, well, sure, I said. How tough can that job be? I I bent down to kiss her and told her I'd be home by three. When I got my stuff done in town, I was starting to regret ever offering to buy that thing. I was working up a sweat. I crossed the street to the woman's store with my hat pulled over my eyes. You see, I, I wasn't taking any chances on being recognized. But I walked right up to that sales gal. and I didn't hammer-haw. I told that lady right straight out, Ma'am, I'm here to buy a bra. I heard a bunch of giggling, and I turned around to see about it. Dozen women staring and pointing straight at me. Well, what kind would you be looking for? Well, that made me scratch my head. I'd only seen one kind before. Bras is bras, I said. She gave me this disgusted look and said, Sir, in that you're wrong. Come with me, I heard her say, and like a dog I trailed along. She took me down this alley where them bras was on display. I thought my jaw'd hit the floor when I seen that lingerie. There was bras of all descriptions, kinds I'd never seen before. I thought I'd go crazy before I left that woman's store. There was bras you wear for 18 hours, and bras that cross your heart, and bras that lift and separate, and that was just the start. There was bras that made you feel like you wasn't wearing one at all. And bras for you to trade in when you start out, when you're small? Well, I finally made my mind up. I picked the black and lacy one. Told that gal to bag it up. I figured I was done. Well, then she asked me for the size. Well, I didn't hesitate. I knew them measurements by heart. Six and seven-eighths. Six and 7 eight, she said. That surely can't be right. Ah, oh, yes, ma'am, I'm positive. I measured them last night. I thought that gal would go into shock. Took her by surprise to find out that my wife's bust was the uh, same as my hat size. Well, by now, a crowd had gathered around, and they was really yucking up, especially when she took my hat to measure for the cup. She finally got it figured, and i give that gal her pay. Went to live, leave that woman's store, tipped my hat, and said, good day. Well, my my wife had heard the story by the time that I got home. See, all them women called her and told her on the phone, and she's still laughing. But by now, I just don't care, because she don't ask, and I don't shop for women's underwear.